Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome, everybody. It's really nice to have you joining us. Um, I'm um, Louise Bremer, Director of Education here, and this is one of our regular Practice Manager Update webinars that we've been running now for two years. Um, and we will continue to do so as long as they are useful. And we know that many of you listen um, to the podcast afterwards. Um, so over 300 of you sometimes die into that one. So that's absolutely fine. I know there's big meetings in Dorset today. So a number of you have already said you can't join us today, um, which is a shame. But um, we are here um, and we will share some information with you we thought a few days ago oh there wasn't going to be very much information and now we've actually found quite a lot of information so hopefully it'll be useful for you um, and we'll share a presentation as well as ever please put your questions in the q a box it's just an easier way for us to manage me to manage the questions coming in um, i'd still have visions of working with the height of COVID, 67 questions coming in and trying to juggle them all and if i'd had two different methods of doing that that would have been even more tricky so if you can keep them in the q a box that actually enables everybody else to see and also us to um if we got us if, if it can be a link possibly that helps you with the reply we can also one of the panelists can do that for you as we go so that should be helpful um so yes we're recording as a podcast um and also we're recording this but just going to do a, um, a short presentation as well so we will leave that as a recorded webinar too um as ever, we've got our Wessex LMC's team here um, to present with you. And I'm delighted that John Chalcraft has joined us, our Deputy uh, Director of Primary Care, Lisa Harding and Michelle Lombardi, our Director of Primary Care. And it's brilliant to have, us, have you all with us. So I think we're going to start off with Michelle. I'm going to hop to sharing my screen and um, we're going to have to look a little bit at the GP contract. Thanks, Louise. So I think I, the first thing I'm going to say is that this so NHSE uh, issued a letter yesterday. I think it was around two, three o'clock yesterday afternoon. So I'm just going to ask for some forgiveness because we're still working through the detail of that. So I am going to have to read some of the slides um, and we will, we're just unpicking this as a team. Uh, and I was thinking that actually it might be quite useful to have a, a document that highlights this. Uh, the slides might do this for us, but um I did wonder whether it might be useful for us to pull a summary document together that just pulls out the key um, elements. Next slide, please, Louise. So as I've said, NHS England issued the letter yesterday afternoon. And within the first, uh, I think within the second, on the second page, it does highlight the fact that the um, NHS England and the government are committed to honouring the five-year deal that runs until 2020, 2023-24. As it says there, the talks, there were discussions with the BMA, which have failed to come to a negotiated agreement. And therefore, NHS England have chosen to issue the letter that um, was issued yesterday. Um, we ha I have put a link into the, in the slides to that letter. I'm sure practices may have that. Um, I suspect we might make this slide available with, on our website too, so you can access that if you need to. So next slide, please. So what we're going to look at are the changes that they are proposing. So they're looking to continue with the five-year deal that's been negotiated, but there are some changes that are going to be, general changes that are going to be put in place. They're also looking at the network DES, um, particularly the QI and the IIF, um, and also we're going to have a look at QOF. And, um, and if we've got any questions, we can take those if we get them throughout. So general changes. So the first area, um, originally in the document, it required practices to um, make available 25% of appointments online, which is out of the, which is drawn down from the totality of uh, all appointments. And actually it's recognized that this is too crude. And what they're going to look at is a targeted to all appointments that do not require triage, are which are able to be booked online 
and also in person and via the phone. There are some questions around this. I think my main question was around nurse appointments. They are varied in length and how patients will be able to access things like cervical smears, health checks that are longer appointments and how that's going to be identified on the online system and ensuring they select the right appointment slots. Um, There's going to be lots of questions with these as this letter came out only yesterday. So uh, we will work through those and share any update once we've got them. So the next change, um, currently practices are required to print off deceased patient records and return to PCSE, which um, does create a huge amount of work and a lot of paper um, and therefore enables PCSE to respond to any access to health records requests. Um, What they are looking to do is to remove the requirement to print these. However, what they are saying is that these will therefore any requests for records for deceased patients will then be managed by the practice. I think that is something that um, some many practices are already doing as in line with the BMA guidance. If you receive a request for deceased patient records, therefore you do need to um, uh, action that and look at that. So that's another change. Minor changes to the routine vaccination schedule. I think Dawn's going to talk a bit about HPV in, in her update. Um, and I think that's the only change around uh, vaccinations. Funding is going to continue um, for workload associated with subject access requests. I believe that that funding was supposed to stop um, last year. However, they're going to continue it um, again and include it in the global sum um, and any workload associated with that. And then final, the final general change is around clarification of ability for patients to register digi- digitally. So it looks like there's going to be some guidance around encouraging practices to enable um, patients to register um, online. Next slide, please. So QOF. So it's uh, quite clear there are going to be no new indicators next year um, when the temporary income protection ends in March. The quality improvement modules will be focusing on the optimising of patient access and prescription drug dependency. And I believe that there is some additional information within the letter. I think it might be Annex D that shows the um, the details around those indicators. Uh, I think they very much focus on online access, which was in the previous, which was in the QI uh, previously. And then finally, the weight management enhanced service um, is going to continue for next year. Next slide, please. So the next few slides are focused on the network, DES, and there's a number of um, uh, pieces of information that they're sharing. Some of it's not necessarily changing, but I thought it was useful just to highlight to you. So talk a bit about the national targets. Apparently, um, we're, the, the DES is on track to uh, achieve the national targets that were set, which I won't go through. I won't read out word for word um, identified there. Apparently, uh, PCNs continue to have flexibility to recruit to any of the 15 roles and are encouraged to make full use of the entitlements that are specifically highlighted. Thinking about it, it specifically looks at mental health practitioner roles and that there will be additional flexibility to help support recruitment to these roles. And that's going to be introduced from April. Doesn't really give any detail around that. So that might be quite interesting because I think there's been some issues with having the 50-50 employment and funding uh, requirements around that. So that will be one to watch uh, as to any flexibility that's put in there. PCN director funding agreed at um, 0.736 pence, uh, they, they say per head, but per patient. Um, and there's going to be a funding boost for that with a further 43 million uh, available. Again, no detail around what that might look like. And then finally, the £1.50 per patient core fund, core PCN funding will continue. Next slide, please. 
So one of the biggest changes that are going to happen um, next year, so this is going to be from October, um, they're bringing the two funding streams together, which is around extended hours and sorry, extended hours and extended access. Um, and within the letter, there are a number of annexes. So Annex B provides quite a lot of detail around the expectations of PCNs in delivering these. Um, the two, I've included the current funding. So currently extended hours is £1.44 per patient and the extended access, which CCGs are currently commissioning, is £6 per patient. As I've mentioned, um, it's due to start in October. There is um, some preparatory work that you're that PCNs are going to need to do from April. Um, so, and I've just included a little bit more detail down here around the enhanced access offer. Um, and there's further detail in Annex B. So it highlights the extended access period as being 6.30 to 8 weekdays and 9 to 5 Saturdays. Interestingly, it does say that if you have patient preference for early mornings and Sundays, you can actually provide that. Um, but it has to be in line with patient preference and be approved by the commissioner. Uh, PCNs need to provide a minimum of 60 minutes of appointments per thousand PCN adjusted patients per week. And they're going to take the weighted pot. They're going to take the population from the 1st of January 2022. Um, and it will be based on the weighted population, which I assume is what they mean by adjusted patients per week. Um, and practices and PCNs are utilising full multidisciplinary team and can actually offer a range of general practice services, including routine screening, vaccines, vaccinations and house checks. Next slide, please. So PCN service specifications. So these were actually set out in August 2021. So the full, so there's more detail there. And I also believe they've got some information around this in, uh, and Annex C and D. So they're gonna, there's going to be limited expansion of the cardiovascular disease prevention and diagnosis service and the anticipatory care and personalised care services. And there'll be a phased approach from um, next month, so April 2022. Uh, there'll be an extension of the period for development of anticipatory care plans. So that's being, moved, that's being extended until December 2022. And the anticipatory care service will be led by ICSs and they won't start until 23-24. Additional year, there's going to be additional year to implement the digitally enabled personalised care and support planning for care home residents um, with that come with 22-23 um, becoming a preparation year and implementation will be required by March 2024. And then the early cancer diagnosis, the service requirements will be streamlined and refocused in 22-23 and in Annex C, it does provide the detail around what that will look like. And then the three new IIF indicators um, will focus on direct oral anticoagulations and anticoagulants prescribing and fit testing for cancer referrals and introduced in 22-23. Annex D does provide details on this. Interestingly, the fit testing for cancer referrals, I think, also feeds into the early diagnosis. So there's some um, overlap there. Next slide, please. So I think the one question, question that practices will be interested in is what this means um, for you uh, with regards to finance. What I will highlight to you is that the further details are due on this on the 22-23 changes are going to be published ahead of April. Um, they're also including that in that a new network contract DES. So uh, whilst this is, so I thought it'd be useful just to re-highlight to everybody the investment and evolution document 
and what this said in relation to practice contract funding for 22-23, given that NHS England are saying that they are committed to um, implementing this. So it looks like for the global sum, there will be potentially a 2.5% increase. However, I think it would be useful to wait for the further detail that is due um, to be published ahead of April. There is also a different um, amount released that relates to staff pay and increases, which I think we need to just be cautious as to how we look at this. And we're waiting on further detail. So I think it was useful to highlight this, that this is what was agreed to for the five-year deal. And this is what was proposed for 22-23. But let's wait on the further information that's due out um, ahead of April before any decisions are made in relation to this. Next slide. I think that might be my last slide. I think it is. Sorry, that was a whistle stop tour. And uh, we are going to do some more work on this and hopefully provide a bit more detail and summary once we've got it available. That's so useful, Michelle, and pulled together in double quick time um, because of that information obviously has only just come out. There's just one comment in the Q&A um, box I think is interesting. Um, and deceased patient records all very well until practice closes. I think that's a really good point. And actually, that's we're going to need to think about how that's managed. We need to feed that back nationally. A really, really good point. Yeah. Um, so there are no other questions. Um, oh, there's no other questions just come in. You can probably see that, Michelle. Um, with enhanced access, how do NHSEI expect PCNs, which are practice really, to recruit extra staff to cover these extra hours when the shortage of GPs and nurses is only getting worse and locums are extremely rare? From our perspective, it amounts to 48 hours a week. Gosh, that's a lot. It's difficult to see how this is going to be possible. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't know what's already in place with um, within areas. So that I suspect there'll be services already commissioned by the CCG for the extended access. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that's going to then transfer over to the PCNs, or will there, you know, how that's going to work, and then extended access on top of uh, extended hours on top of that. It, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And I don't think we've got any of the answers. I think, again, that's another good question. Yeah, it's kind of a um, watch this space. We will feed back any comments, obviously, we get and talk to the teams that are relevant and, and bring you more information as soon as we know, won't we? We will. Thank you, Michelle. That's great. There's so no further questions on that. So I'm going to hand over to Lisa now, and she's going to take us through a few um, a few other bits to update us on. Thanks, Lisa. Okay. Thanks, Louise. And I'm going to cover all things COVID, uh, and then I'm going to pass over to, to Dawn to cover some public health elements. So um, the first topic I just wanted to update everybody on was staff testing and self-isolation, following um, a further update from NHSE, um, which gives an initial update on various areas. There's some more guidance around NHS staff who test positive for COVID, testing amongst staff and patients, and visiting guidance for patients in NHS settings. So with regard to healthcare staff who've tested positive for COVID, they should not attend work until they've had two negative LFD test results taken 24 hours apart. Um, so the first test should not be taken before day five after their initial positive test. Um, we're expecting the guidance for staff and patients exposed to COVID-19 to be updated. So we're waiting for that to be posted on the UK HSA guidance pages and we'll update as we see that. Um, that NHSE letter also confirms that there are no immediate changes to infection 
and prevent infection prevention control guidance. So this includes the requirement for staff, patients and visitors to wear a face mask covering in healthcare settings. Um, and we know that practices are increasingly finding it difficult to, to uh, encourage all patients to comply with that. So it was just a reminder that we have got some guidance on our website around patients who are refusing to wear face masks um, and what you might want to consider if, if you have that scenario. Um, and then there's a further letter that was issued on the 23rd around the next steps for the COVID vaccination programme, uh, which I just really wanted to run through very, very quickly. Um, so the first element really just covers the continued access to COVID-19 vaccination. So as a reminder, that includes a vaccination offer to all children aged five to 11 years, um, a vaccination offer of a spring dose at around six months after the last vaccine dose for adults aged 75 years and older, um, residents in care home for older adults and individuals aged 12 and over who have or who are immunosuppressed. And we're expecting further details to follow, but we do know that PCN groupings aren't expected to be the primary delivery model for this part of the programme, but we'll watch this space for more information. Next element of that is a continued vaccination offer to those who have recently become eligible who may not have yet taken up the offer. So that includes the at-risk populations, um, those who are pregnant, the severely immunocompromised, their families or households. Um, and then there's also an element around continuous community engagement to encourage those who haven't yet come forward to come forward. Um, on the subject of, a deli of delivery of an autumn COVID-19 vaccination program, um, if advised by the JCVI, the interim position from JCVI is that um, an autumn program of vaccinations is, is likely to be indicated for persons who are at higher risk of severe COVID, such as those who are older or in the clinical risk um, groups. Precise details can't be um, shared at the moment. I don't think that decision has been made. Um, so this advice only is interim um, and it's for the purposes of, of operational planning. So we will hear more as the, as the year progresses. Um, and the third element of that letter was just to say there will be contingency plans to rapidly increase access if obviously a new variant that's highly contagious comes out and the position changes with Omicron. Um, so that is uh, acknowledged within the letter. Uh, so then just moving on to staff risk assessments, we just had uh, a, a few comments coming in from practices asking about wanting to continue with staff risk assessments. Just a reminder, we do have a page on our website that includes some really useful links that are being reviewed by the BMA. So there's some BMA guidance on there. Um, there's separate guidance for GPs on the BMA website around uh, risk assessments. This, the SAAD scoring is also on our website page. So do have a look at that if you want to look at risk assessment, particular members of staff or your GPs. And then just moving on to the VDRS and um, the Overseas Vaccine, Vaccines Validation Service. Um, people have been encouraged to check their vaccination records are up to date. Um, if they haven't had their vaccination in England or they have and there's an error on the record or they have an incomplete record, they should call 119 and ask to be referred to the VDRS. Um, over 16s who have had one or more COVID vaccination abroad that are approved by the World Health Organization can now book an appointment at a vaccination site to show evidence of their vaccinations and request an update to their record. 
Um, and anyone intending to use their NHS COVID pass to travel should check their pass status booking and call 119 if their record isn't showing correctly. Unfortunately, queries relating to incorrect personal information on a patient record still has to be resolved or flagged up with a GP practice. That one hasn't been resolved yet as yet. And the final um, update from me was just around the new PPE portal. Um, so there's a new um, partnership between NH DHSC and the NHS supply chain, and they've implemented a new PPE portal platform to ensure continued access to free PPE and related items for eligible users until the end of March 2023. Um, so all eligible users should um, receive an invite over the coming weeks and months to ensure migration across to the new platform. Um, so you should have received an email communication confirming timings for your migration. Um, and that should have started the week commencing 28th of February. Um, so if you haven't heard anything, um, let us know and we're happy to see what we can find out for you. Um, so that was just my update, Louise. And I think uh, Dawn is now going to co cover some public health items. Just before I let Dawn in, can we, we've just got one question, Lisa, please. Um, so just about LFTs and staff within the practices, are we still asking staff to LFT test twice weekly? Is that still a good idea? I believe that is still good practice. I'm looking to the others. I think that still is good practice. So I was just pulling up the letter. I was just trying to find the letter that had this detail. Um, and it just says that, uh, yeah, for now, NHS staff should continue to access a test via the universal offer. Um, so it looks like that there's no changes that you need to continue with that outline. Yeah, I think it's to continue. Indeed, lovely. Thank you. And um, thank you, Lisa. That's really helpful. Um, Dawn, you want to have a few bits for us, please? Yes, thanks, Louise. Okay, so um, first of all, I'm just going to start off with the HPV vaccination programme. There is a change to the schedule. Um, and from April 2022, next month, as we say, the HPV vaccination programme is moving from a three dose to a two dose schedule for eligible, oh, I can't speak, eligible adolescents and adults starting the course after they turn 15 years old. Uh, this does also include men who have sex with other men. This is with the exception of individuals um, who are known to be HIV infected or immunocompromised who should continue to be offered the three-dose schedule. The interval between the doses for the new two-dose schedule should be six to 24 months after the first dose. Um, there is a joint letter from NHS and um, uh, UXA public health, as we call it. Um, and in there is more information and guidance um, uh, and the revised green book um, will have the chapter updated shortly. I've just checked. It's not there yet. Um, and also there will be a new PGD, which again is, is not there yet either, having checked the website. But um, we have the links to people EGDs on our website. So you will be able to go there and check and as soon as they're available on your respective NHS England re uh, regional sites, the PGDs will be there for you to use. Um, now, cheers. Uh, we have been made aware that the um, CHIS team associated to uh, Solent Chai um, have identified a problem um, and it does affect all naught to 19 year olds and their immunisation status. Uh, and we understand that um, Chai will be up and running again, um, I think hopefully by the 8th of March. However, 
it's quite likely and possible that some of the records will still need checking and some practices may be approached to ask if they could check their records. Well, this is quite a large amount of data. Um, we have sort of suggested that you may be able to run searches and provide those uh, search reports to CHIS uh, in order for them to have a look and decide what or not needs updating in their system. Um, but that, that, that's a little bit ongoing in the moment in as much as we ha haven't had um, anything further other than we know there's been a problem. And I'm sure as some of you get requests, you probably might be in touch with us. And if we need to, we can talk to public health some more about that. We are also aware that was, sorry, that was in the Solent Southeast area, but we are also aware there's been another issue in the Southwest um, where some other practices in the Southwest have also been asked to review their school age children vaccination status. We don't know any more specifically about that at the moment. And we are talking to, I say we, I think it's Michelle that's very kindly been in touch with public health in Southwest. And as soon as we know more about that, we will update you further. Um, and lastly, but not by any means least, um, the uh, National Cervical Screening Programme, the National Ceasing Audit. I'm sure some of you will remember that last year practices were asked to audit some of their patients that had previously been ceased um, from the NHS Cervical Screening Programme. That was anybody from the 1st of April 2010 who actually had a no cervix um, noted on their record um, and hence ceased from receiving notification letters. From yesterday, 1st of March, the um, cervical, screening, uh, cervical Screening Administration Service will um, reinstate those patients whose GP practice did not respond to that national ceasing audit. Um, and as such, any uh, patients reinstated, um, they quite likely now will uh, appear on your PNLs, your prior notification lists um, through um, Open Exeter. Um, we are advised that practices will receive some further communications on the timescales from when their patients will be reinstated, as well as some advice, specific advice for actions that you may need to take. And this should apparently come from your NHSE and I regional commissioning team or the CCG in due course. And that's everything from me, Perfect. Louisa. Thank you, Dawn. And just, I know we've got some very, very new practice managers on this call, and you're very welcome. And it's lovely to have you joining us. Um, so can I just, CHIS, Child Health Information Service? Oh, sorry, CHIS, yes. CHIS is the Child Health Child Health Immunisation Immunisation uh, Service or system, rather. And CHI is the um, information uh that's to do with Hampshire-centred um, uh, data sharing. So it doesn't just include um, immunisations. It, it's um, a whole record sharing system. Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you, Dawn. And just um, just so that you're aware, so Southeast is our Hampshire and Isle of Wight practices, and um, Southwest is our Baines and Swindon and Wiltshire and Dorset practices. And that's how the split is. That the split hasn't always been like that, but the split is currently like that. Um, so that's also for. Um, and do do please don't ever hesitate to ask questions like this because just because we are 
we kind of know this kind of stuff. It doesn't mean we're all born knowing it. So please don't ever feel um, that you can't ask any questions like that. We're all only too pleased to explain it. And those of us who've been around a few times, we just know that these used to be called different names anyway, and then it changes. So we you know a lot of us get up, out of date quickly. So um, please do ask us. We're always very, very happy to help. And um, thank you, Dawn. That was really useful. Um, Lisa, I'm coming back to you um, and Michelle about COVID. Um, LFTs will soon require payment for a kit of seven. Will they become available centrally? Will we have to fund them? Does anybody have any information? I don't think that was in the letter, was it? But does anybody know about that? I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we can find out as soon as we do. We'll let everybody know. Yeah. Um, Michelle, you're not privy to any private information on that. On <laughs> okay, lovely. Oh, there's just one question. One more question. There. That's fine. Um, and finally, we had a robust meeting with NHS England this morning about access to um, medical records. And we fed back um, everything. Hopefully you would have been pleased with us to feed back with all the um, concerns we have and the issues that we think that haven't possibly been um, necessarily resolved at the moment. So that was, as I say, robustly fed back. And we would like to think that um, that, would, that was helpful for you. And um, Lisa, did you want to come in on that straight away? It was just to mention, Louise, I know that they've been running lots and lots of webinars for practice managers. And I know I've seen some familiar names. I delved into when I saw some familiar names. But I think it would be really useful if people have time uh, to dial in. They take about 45 minutes, um, but it's quite useful to hear, I think. And equally feed up your concerns. I think the more weight we add to it, the better. Yes. Very good point. So what we will do is we'll put the link to those webinars on the information that we publish from today. And um, so please join in with them if you haven't already. Um, and if you have any opportunity to feedback, as um, Lisa said, the more weight behind these, the better. Whether or not it's going to make a difference, obviously we don't know. Um, but please be reassured we have challenged um, on your behalf. Um, they have said to us it's probably not going to be the access, increased access to medical records. It isn't going to be from the 1st of April. It will be later in April, but we, we, don't, we don't know. Um, we don't know more than that but we're going to have um, Adam Tuckett who has is a sort of a friend to us information governance expert and very well up on this sort of information he's going to come um, to the next webinar which is in the 16th of March to answer questions now he is no he doesn't work for NHS England he's not part of this sort of rollout but he might be able to sort of provide some practical guidance to how to navigate this in the best possible way when it does come um, so Lisa I think you've done a lot of information governance work um, on behalf of practices as well so I think that's what Adam's coming to talk about, isn't he? Just to see how we can navigate it well for you. So do bring questions for him. Um, but as I say, he he isn't um, he's not a member of the team, so he can't pass it back in any in any other way other than uh, other than we can. So, but we just hope hope that would be helpful for you because we know it's just one thing. I'm getting sort of some questions on queries for that, and we are putting some more. I'm just getting a, a package together at the moment for some more training this throughout this year. Some sort of fundamentals to information governance for your staff. Um, and some sort of more hour-long webinars on sort of data breaches, data sharing, that sort of thing. The things that we get asked questions on and we know do tax you and do concern you. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you because we know it is a little, a little bit of a nightmare navigating through um, that system at the moment. So that's um, Adam Tuckett coming on the 16th of March, which is our next practice manager webinar, which again will be at one o'clock on Wednesday, as we as we always do. So there are no further questions. Um, there's nothing else we have answered everything. So unless anybody's got anything else they want to add, I'm looking around the room. I'm not seeing anybody saying they have. So I will say thank you very much for being with us today. Um, and hopefully those of us who have listened to the podcast, hopefully you found this useful. And we will see you again on the 16th of March. So thank you very much for Dawn, Michelle and Lisa. It's been great to have you with us. Thank you. 
Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.